A young Marguerite must survive the insecurity, displacement, and trauma of her tender years to come of age and learn her own strength, confidence, and beauty. The author, Maya Angelou. The book, I Know Why the Cage Birds Sing. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit! Readers, this is Alexis. And this is Kari. And you're listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. Kari. Hey. Should we talk about it or should we let it pass? What do you want? I don't want to talk about the slap. All right. Let us keep it moving, man. (laughs) Tell me, I'm going to take an oldie but goodie Uh and um, ask you one thing you did for fun and one thing you did for self care. I'm trying to stretch myself in many ways. That means um, getting back on track with a physical routine and also um, going out of the house and meeting with friends that I haven't seen in years. Um, So I made time for friends this weekend and it was really filling in a lot of ways. I'll be honest, it was exhausting. Um, so that's where I am right now in life. But yeah, we're, we're returning to routines that we haven't had to perform, I guess, for years. And I don't know how we ever did it, but we're going to do it again. (laughs) And it's going to be great. So um, I have to be honest, I heard uh, COVID numbers are going up, got a little PTSD, um, but I'm not going to let that stop me. (laughs) This COVID can't hold me back, but it can. Um, But I ain't going to try to let it. (laughs) For sure. It sure can, ma'am. It sure can. (laughs) And then big news, uh, Lida Tea's a luxury candle brand that I created is launching this Friday. So (laughs) listeners, if you want to get in on that secret sale with special pricing, head over to lovelidates.com for more information. That's L-O-V-E-L-I-T-O-T-E-S.com. What about you, Alexis? What's going on? What's new? Uh, One, mm-hmm. I am truly excited about the release of Light of Tees. Okay. <laughs> Can I say that? I just love um, the advertising campaign that you've put on Thank and it's you. just top notch. I can't wait for everybody to experience it the same as I have. Can I just say that? I love you, okay. friend. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So I'm in a similar position for you. And because you extended kindness to me this weekend, I had the energy and strength um, to extend uh, kindness and think of others as well. It is really hard to make time for people. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I fight it every step of the way. I do. I want to be by myself. Mm-hmm. I only go out of the house because I have to work. And this n- upcoming new routine is gonna. Whew, it's gonna be exhausting, but I think it's gonna improve us in a number of ways that we didn't even expect. Yeah. Each week we select a theme to discuss, inspired <laughs> by the book we are reading. This week's theme is the history of ebonics or. African-American vernacular English. That's right there. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Do you say Ebonic? When I remember that being a thing discussed, 
I didn't even really connect with it. I didn't understand it. The little bit of research I did today helped me understand it a little better. And um, because it was just the way you spoke, it wasn't. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't something you ever had to think about. Label. Yeah. 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 But I went to YouTube and I watched a video from Babel uh, USA, oh. the language learning app. It's titled AAVE Explain the Dialect that Transcends Internet Culture. I don't get into the Internet culture portion of it, um, but. I, I really enjoyed the video. And then I also looked at Wikipedia, which has an extended breakdown based on research. And I was going to say, I think the guy's name is John McWardle. And we've um, talked about him before in another episode briefly. Um, I think it had to do with outliers. Side mm. note. While the use of the words language and dialect are often interchangeable, they mean different things. Kari, do you know the difference between language and dialect? I would say that dialect is derivative of a language. Well, that's wonderful. I'm not going to doubt you and I'm not going to have a definition for you. But I will <laughs> tell you that dialects are a subset of language. OK, yeah, yeah. I believe <laughs> what you said is correct. Dialect refers to grammar and vocabulary vocabulary and then there's accents which are part of a dialect yeah um accent is how a group of people pronounce words okay linguists prefer not to use the words language or dialects because they come with value judgments dialects are associated with improper speech linguists instead use the term varieties so in the video, they were the guy was like, oh, I speak five different languages, um, Australian, American. And then he named a few others. Yeah, there's a big um, difference between American English and UK English. Mm-hmm. Um, Patois has its own rules. Um, Jamaican Patois. And then you think of like um, Pigeon English spoken in other parts of the world throughout the Caribbean. Yeah. It's all English. It really is. It's all is. English. It's all English. English is the language. American is the dialect. And as you broke down as well, those will be dialects. Then what is AAVE? Is it a dialect? Oh, I would say yes. Yeah. Is this another yes. pop quiz with no answers? Huh? Okay. No. <laughs> yeah. AAVE <laughs> is the dialect of many black Americans. Wikipedia also says that it's um, working common for working class and middle class African-Americans and some black Canadians. Um, We communicate and speak with one another. It's a way of communicating. The more formal way of speaking is said to be what, Kari? Standard American English. Yes, girl, you are good this early hour. Mm hmm. AAVE varies by state and region, as Kari mentioned just a few minutes before. This way of communicating, however, continues to evolve. And AAVE has its own rules. So AAVE isn't speaking bad English. (laughs) It's not. That's not it. The origin of AAVE is up for debate among linguists. And... Here's one of the 
origins that they feel like it comes from. Okay. <laughs> A-A-B-E, they say, has always been a dialect of English, meaning that it originated from earlier English dialects rather than from a English-based Creole language. There was one linguist that suggested that the grammar of early A-A-B-E was closer to contemporary British dialects than modern A-A-B-E is to other American dialects. Another origin story and less, um, less embraced by linguists is that it came from one or more Creole languages used by African captives of the Atlantic slave trade. And this came from the captives speaking different languages and then needing a new way to communicate among themselves and with their captors. And so while AAVE shares many similarities in pronunciation and structure to other African-based Creoles around the world, it's actually closer to standard American English than Gullah and Louisiana Creole. Kari, have mm-hmm. you heard um, the Gullah language before? Of course. Where? Yeah, I guess um, on television, certain shows that featured um, people from that semi-autonomous region or once semi-autonomous region. Um, Yeah, so from art and different entertainment shows. And then the, the, what about the Louisiana Creole? Well, yeah, from Young Money, Cash Money, and um, the whole YMCB family. (laughs) No, I mean, I don't know. I think so. (laughs) Ma'am, okay? Please share, update us, old people, okay? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think so. Yeah, I think I heard Santa Creole somewhere before. Okay, ma'am. And that's okay. It's okay. Okay. You know, for me, I didn't realize what I was listening to. And in my youth, it was the popular slang uh, to pick up the way people from Louisiana spoke. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I don't know if we was using it properly, but we thought we was, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also <laughs> popular today to hear that and speak like that. Yeah, for sure. It'll never die. And yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> pretty lovely. <laughs> Wherever the origin, when Black Americans left the South as part of the Great Migration, they carried that language with them and it spread about fact. More than one thing can be true, right? So mm-hmm. these different origin stories that linguists entertain can all have some truth in the way AAVE has um, developed until our day. Yeah, I think I, I agree. And I think that's why they don't exclude it completely. Sure. Because it, it both makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so features of AAVE. Grammar. Now, I learned so much here and it also shamed me a little bit, but I learned so much. (laughs) So verb conjugation is part of it. So an example would be like standard American English. She doesn't like. That's what you would say in standard American English. Now, Kari. How would I say if I was talking to a family member or a friend, she doesn't like something? (laughs) 
That's right. That's that she don't like. You I wouldn't would say, say she, she doesn't like. like you would say she don't like. And so that she is like the it. verb to do mm. being con- conjugated in the third person plural versus third person singular. That's what I learned from the video. She doesn't like it becomes she don't like it. Mm-hmm. And then there's present progressive tense, which explains something happening in real time. So in standard American English, I would say Kari is going shopping. Kari, how would you say that in A-A-V-E? She's she going shopping. That's right. The verb is dropped because the meaning is implied. See, that's easy, oh, right? Oh, so this is an advanced way of speaking. I always known it. <laughs> <laughs> Get it right. And then there is my all-time favorite. Again, I didn't realize it had meat um labels and whatnot. The habitual B. I'm mm-hmm. all up in the B, okay? <laughs> Let me give you something. So in the example of Kari is going shopping. She be shopping. Kari, Kari be, shopping. be going shopping. Yeah. But, but how would you really explain that meaning in standard American English? Because that means I shop a lot. Or usually done. Something that's done often or usually done. You don't explain it. That's just what we do. It's the habitual B, okay? There's <laughs> okay. no alternate for that. It's an oh, advanced right. level to that's the right. uh, I'm sorry. present progressive tense, okay? It it's really is. That. Yeah, she be shopping. Oh, mm-hmm. I understand everything. I know some things about you now. <laughs> oh, she do? Exactly. she owe me money and she be shopping. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about Alexis specifically, y'all. <laughs> anyway, God, Alexis don't owe me no money. <laughs> and meaning have everything to do with how that's used, right? Yeah. So Corey Stemfer, um, when we reviewed Word by Word, The Secret Life of Dictionaries, a great episode. She broke this down really well. And she's a linguist. Uh, white American, I believe, um, that has spent her life breaking down words and language. Um, And she really, I thought, explained this really well. If I Mm -hmm. say that Alexis is sick, she's sick in this moment. Alexis is sick. Alexis Mm -hmm. sick. If I say Alexis be sick, now we worry. Because Alexis is always sick for some reason. And I'm a little tired of it, <laughs> perhaps. All of so that now we all got to get involved. What's going on with Alexis? Exactly. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. You me know, too. and then here's where I get shamed a little bit. The metathesis. Are you familiar with that one, Kari? Yes, because I used to call it metathesis. Oh, yeah, you did. Oh, mm. Mm, mm, mm. But that's okay. <laughs> Switching sounds and letters in words. I mean, this uh, mm-hmm. uh-huh. This is where we get yes. pattern and we get things like um, I will even throw in Pacific when people mean specific. Yeah. Um, overall, all of us use it. So, hey, listener, you ain't no better. You don't say I run. You don't mm-hmm. say I run. You say iron. That's not how that's spelled. <laughs> yeah. So and and you know another word included in that is library. Oh no, but that we'll stand on that. You say library. You say February. We're not taking any Februaries or libraries over around these parts. We don't do it. <laughs> ask. <laughs> and no one's perfect. 
Axe is also included in there. Axe, yeah, okay. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But it's part of the dialect. And it's often made fun of, i.e. Kari's just example. Okay. I just got a problem with specifically, but I've said acts. Acts for sure. So it's, so you using your, the word, the standard American English would be A-S-K, but you might say A-C-T or A-X-E, either Mm -hmm. one of those. Um, And again, that's part of the meta- thesis, but it's often, as I mentioned, made fun of or discredited or corrected in school. But what the video Babel encouraged is that there are very certain rules, very, um, there are certain rules that need to be followed when you're speaking standard American English and that AAVE, while rich and important, we need to use the rules. (laughs) Instead of just simply discrediting AAVE. Recognize that there are rules to um, African-American vernacular English. And going back to um, Corey, Corey's book, Word by Word, I really appreciated how um, she explained standard American English is not a language naturally spoken. It does not derive from a culture. It is something that everyone must learn. And I've seen that mixing uh, with different classes and people from different areas. No one speaks English properly unless taught and um, invested in the learning of language. Um, You know, it doesn't matter where you come from. People don't know the difference between there, there and there. Um, very educated, quote unquote, mm-hmm. educated people, um, which mm-hmm. boggles my mind, but it's true. Yeah. Um, so African-American vernacular English comes from a culture um, like a lot of dialects. And it's richer in a way because um, language is improved through use. So right. um, African-American vernacular English has been developed and improved through use like any dialect, whereas standard American English is um in a way, and there is a t- um, there is a discussion about it being just a form of um, supremacy by uh, the American caste system, the top of the American caste system. Um, but I like rules and language because it puts us all on a um, level playing field when we're communicating across geographical boundaries and even across country lines. Yeah. Um, but it's not something if someone doesn't speak it that you can look down on yeah. um, or dismiss because we all have to learn American English, standard American English. That makes me think of learning Spanish. When my daughter went to school, she went to an immersion school and they started, I think, at K-4. And so she was taught by a lot of native Spanish speakers. Right. Mm hmm. But in that school, they did not focus on grammar, very little focus on grammar. But when she went to middle school, the teachers were not, not middle school, high school. When she went to high school, when she went to high school, the teachers were not um, native, native speakers. speakers. And so, so they, she's saying stuff like, K bye bye, dad. I remember <laughs> they taught us that. Why did they teach us to say that? That was weird. I, I don't know. Hey, bye-bye, that. <laughs> what? Girl, if you were going to take your seizure pills. But <laughs> what they taught 
her or attempted to teach her was more of a grammar focus. But I see what you're saying. Like, and, yeah. and it's better to learn in the immersive way, um, because let's say you're uh, taught from by you're taught Spanish in an immersive way um, by people from Mexico from a child. You speak mm-hmm. a specific type of Spanish and certain things won't translate um, to, let's say, a Puerto Rican population. But overall, you are learning Spanish in the best way because you're learning it in a practical spoken way. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're going to learn the rules that everyone just has agreed to follow, uh, that's better to learn them when you're older than learning them when you're younger and not being able to speak in a way that is understood by people, by, you know, you know, in real life um, always. So let's jump into some um, examples. AABE has come up within the legal system. And here's some examples. In Louisiana versus uh, Demesne, the Louisiana Supreme Court ruled that the defendant's request, give me a lawyer, dog, was too ambiguous to be considered a Miranda request for a lawyer. That's confusing to me because I understood that very clearly. Uh, uh, he just put dog at the end. I mean, yeah, you couldn't, that, you could really couldn't understand what he was I, asking for. I think it's pretty clear. Next one. We talk about this one, um, Kari, and I think it might have been in the um, Trayvon Martin's case. Yes, that mm-hmm. case. Um, how the testimony of Rachel Chantel was perceived as incomprehensible and not credible by the jury due to her dialect. And no one thought to have a dialect expert there. Right. Um, right. To what translate for those unwilling, purposely obtuse or really incapable of understanding. Right. And then finally, another issue that comes up, and this is not the end all be all, but just a few. The issue of court stenographers and inaccurate transcriptions. So they're not capturing the AAVE in their um, transcriptions. And so that's not a clear indication for the court record. That's a problem. Um, I love Revisionist History. It's another podcast and it's by Malcolm Gladwell. And he speaks yes. of a case where, were you going to talk about that? Nope. Go right ahead. He has an episode about um, where uh, um, I believe a doctor lost his license because he said he was going to do something presently, which is very English way of saying soon. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but here presently implies that you're doing it now. Mm-hmm, and because right. that someone chose not to, I don't want to say chose not to, I guess maybe they genuinely didn't know the difference between the way Americans use that word and the way it's used in the UK. And in the end, he actually lost his license because it was said he didn't do something in the way that it was supposed to be done or that he said he would do it. Like he said he was going to do something now when really he meant he was doing it as soon as possible. Um, And that's another thing. As soon as possible, ASAP is not something you say to those that speak English. I used to work for a Swedish company and we never used as soon as possible because that means you get to it when you get to it. You either do it now or you don't. (laughs) (laughs) So um, everyone doesn't understand as soon as possible, which is something we say all the time. Um, So it's not just with American vernacular English, but it really speaks to the nuance and language and how important it is, especially when legal matters are concern to have an expert of that dialect and to not dismiss anyone's dialect because mm-hmm. then you see the value of having an expert there. Exactly. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. It's dangerous. Well, let's jump into a little music. I got a couple examples for you, uh, Kari Wright. Um, let's do it. The artist is Tupac Shakur. These are examples from Wikipedia. You can find Never them Never heard there. of them. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Well, he has a song called Straight Ballin', okay? Mm-hmm. And the lyric goes, and getting ghost on the 5 What's mm-hmm. 5-0 mean, Kari? That means he is um, disappearing from police. The police is like, is he a ghost? I can't find him. Well, AA, that's the <laughs> A-A-V-E. And then the standard merit. The standard English definition would be police. Exactly. Exactly. And then, I don't think that translates. 5-0 is not A-A-V-E. It's like slang. That's what Wikipedia referred to it as. I got a couple more for you, too. <laughs> oh, A-A-V-E, lexicon. So we have our own, like, lexicon. Yeah, our own language. Okay. So, well, lexicon is a little different from language, and I can see it being a AAVE lexicon examples. I'll let it, it slide, Wiki. Little Wayne song, Blinded. I can put bangles around your ashy ankles. The <laughs> item is ashy. What does that mean, no, Kyrie? Ashy is an, is an English that is... No, no. Ashy is a word that is part of standard American English. It's part of it. Yeah. But what does it mean? Ashy is skin without these chickens is ash and I'm lotion. Ask Mariah what that is. Don't ask me. I don't know what ashy is. I've heard some people have it. <laughs> Sounds terrible. Yeah. But I just watched <laughs> and I'm I'm, a, I'm not going to say the name because you know, I might get called out. <laughs> but I just watched this comedian and he's. Flat out said, I did not know what Ashley was. I, and it was a white comedian. I never even heard the word growing up. Ashley means dry skin. <laughs> Maybe that's part of the AAVE lexicon. And I didn't know. It is. I everyone Kyrie. knew what Ashley was. <laughs> because everyone gets Ashley. That's not specific to melanated skin. No, everybody gets dry skin. Okay. But not everybody get ashy. Everybody don't get ashy. Everybody okay, what's don't next? Get ashy. This is brilliant. Okay, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> and again, jump back to my favorite, <laughs> Nina Simone. The song is It Bees That Way Sometimes. It be that way okay. Sometimes. The lyric it is It Bees mm. That Way Sometime. Again, the habitual B, my favorite mm-hmm. song. Yeah. Those are just a few examples that uh, Wikipedia highlighted. And like I said, there was quite a bit of information out there about AAVE. I just touched the surface, but I found it extremely extremely interesting. Yeah. And please go back and listen to our episode um, with Corey Stanford's book, uh, Word by Word, The Secret Life of Dictionaries. That's a very underrated episode because she's a brilliant linguist. Yeah. And if you love language at all, which you probably do if you love books, I think you'll love uh, that that feature. Also, I love how you say Wikipedia because that's what it is. <laughs> but but I don't know. I mean, I say Wikipedia. Uh, so but there's no A in the beginning of that word. No, so there anyway, isn't. I thought that was interesting as we're speaking a language. <laughs> Wikipedia. Mm. I'll correct that after the show. That's what I'm thinking. But uh, wait, no, that's how it's spelled. Okay. Let's take a quick break before we jump into the author and context. Let's do it. 
why don't you share with us something about our author and if you have a little context share that as well so this is the first of a million books, part of uh, Maya Angelou's series of autobiographies. Not a million, you guys, um, but a series of autobiographies. And as is our custom with autobiographies, I won't go into much of context about the author because we're going to talk about her, of course, as we dive deeply into her book. One thing I'll say is I did a little uh, semi-survey around my workplace asking, do you know who Maya Angelou was? Oh, and uh, most people did not. One person said, yes, she's the one with the unibrow, right? <clears throat> I said, do you mean Frida Kahlo? So that's where we are. And that reminded me that people that I take for granted as um, influences having existed, um, giants in the world, some people have no idea who they are, especially as they are black. Now, I don't think Maya Angelou is black famous. Like, you know, Frankie Beverly and Mays is a very common example of someone that's a black famous. Mm-hmm. Like, who don't know Frankie Beverly and Mays? You'd be surprised. Um, but I guess Maya you Angelou. Make me happy. This you can tell. <laughs> so I think it's really important that we. Um, Talk about Maya Angelou because she is someone uh, that uh, especially writers and people in um, literary fields uh, or or just dealing with literacy or um, the art of writing should probably know. It's Maya Angelou. I can't believe I even have to say this. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that. So I won't I won't do as we typically do a context about the author. Um, But I will ask you, Alexis. What were your first thoughts of I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings? Well, I was familiar with her poems. Okay, I've never read any of her books. So I was glad to jump into a book of hers. Yes, definitely. Um, What about you? Who do you think would enjoy reading this book? Um, I read this in grade school and haven't touched it since. I can't so. believe that. I just <laughs> can't what? believe you read that in grade school. It was a signed reading. Uh, yeah, my predominantly white school, this was a signed reading. So wow. um, I'm grateful for that because I guess it ain't no more mm-hmm. <laughs> since people don't know who Maya Angelou is. I think you'll be interested in this um, writing if you if you enjoy reading autobiographies from an um a female point of view and an American point of view. So Maya Angelou is very unique because she grew up both in the South, Midwest and Western um, part of America. So she has a very um, natural knowledge mm-hmm. of what it means to be American mm-hmm. and living life as an American. And that that makes her book a time capsule um, from which people in present day and people from outside of America can pull to really learn um, what that experience is and what it means to a very specific um, point of view. And then the way she writes reminds me of um, Harlem Renaissance writers, although that was not her time, Um, like Dorothy West, uh, you know, even uh, Nella Larson. I felt like this type of poetic writing uh, she has on lock. So, yeah, that's my Angelou. And that's why um, I think many people would enjoy reading. I know why the cage bird sings. Okay, well, are you ready to take a spoiler-filled deep dive into I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings? 
I am. And this is going to be more of a discussion between Alexis and myself um, and you too, reader. So um, it starts with my book starts with a foreword by Oprah Winfrey, who um, I know some people have issues with Auntie Oprah. I do not. I will say, though, um, she does have a way of making things about her. <laughs> and uh, the foreword is very brief. And, She's a uh, one up right? <laughs> She can be. Um, um, But her thing with Maya Angelou was as soon as she picked up this book, she found a sister um, that was also a mother and later became a friend. And it's really touching. So it starts with uh, the book starts with what are you looking at me for? I didn't come to stay. And it has a little young Maya Angelou in front of her uh, church group. They're rehearsing um, a presentation and she has forgotten the words as is typical. It's really letting us know that she was somewhat of an outcast as a child. She didn't have many friends. Uh, She was picked on her. She came from a beautiful family and no one felt like she matched to that beauty. Her eyes looked more Asian than they did American or black American. And she was teased for that. Uh, People said her father must have been a Chinaman. And she thought that meant he was as precious as a piece of China. You know, she's a she's a baby. Yeah. So she says again, what you looking at me for? I didn't come to stay. And she feels this hotness in her body. And then an adult whispers to her something about it's Easter Day, baby. Say it's Easter Day. I just came to tell you it's Easter Day. Okay. (laughs) She, (laughs) She runs away urinates on herself and runs home you know humiliated and that lets us know everything um, that Maya wants us to know about baby Maya Um, when she starts this book she's living with her grandma who she calls mama so I'm gonna call her mama but just know that that is her um, paternal grandmother that she's living with at this time Her grandmother was a brilliant businesswoman who survived, uh, um, not just survived, but thrived during the Great Depressions. One of the few businesses to do so because she owned a general store attached to her home. Her mama did, her grandma, Um, but also one of the few, not just black American businesses, but one of the few businesses to thrive during the Depression. And she did that by allowing people to barter um, instead of providing funds they that she set up a trade system she also lent to people of all types including white people who Mm -hmm. um, she caught their debts later in life when she needed things Mm -hmm. Um, even if they had paid (laughs) she was was not playing so she was (laughs) she was a brilliant businesswoman um, and her family benefited from that including Maya Angelou um In and out of the store were the farmers, the workers of the land, um, likely sharecroppers also. And from that experience, living basically in that store, Maya saw the truth that would later um, others would try to make foggy as she grew up. So um, there was talk of the laziness on um, old plantations and how sharecroppers uh, were ignorant people or this or that. But she knew that wasn't the case because that's where she grew up. And she knew that these people were intelligent, hard workers, uh, spiritually minded people. And she was able to put a human face to this this, um, conversation that would come up later in her life. Um, She talks about her uncle Willie in a way that I want to read. We're not going to have any dramatic readings this episode, um, but there are a couple parts I want to read directly from the book just to give you a sense of Maya's way of writing and storytelling. 
So her uncle, Willie, um, something was um, he was born with a condition, right, where he couldn't stand up straight. Was it not? I born think with? it was from an, I thought it was from an injury. OK, OK. So he was crippled. And this is the way Maya explains it. She says the tragedy of lameness seems so unfair to children that they're embarrassed in its presence. And they most recently off nature's mold sense that they have only narrowly missed being another of her jokes. In relief at the narrow escape, they vent their emotions in impatience and criticism of the unlucky cripple. And I think that's the way a lot of immature, end quote, I think that's the way a lot of immature adults also handle lameness. Mm -hmm. Like somehow I'm not lame. So let me make fun of you. And, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know what great thing about me has spared me from the calamity that you now live with, but it must be your fault in some way. Either way, I'm a little terrified of also sharing in your fate. So I'm going to put you down. Um, Uncle Willie and her grandma really cared for her in a very Southern disciplinary way. Um, but there were moments of sweetness in between them that I found really um, touching. Like, what do you think of this time of her growing up in her um, mother's home? What vibe did you get from her experience there? I thought there was um, a lot of love there and mm -hmm. Like the childhood I would expect if your grandmother raised you. Yeah. I, I do feel like she was gentle with her. Mm hmm. Yeah. Usually your grandmother is going to be a little more, um, you know, like Southern grandmas got rules and they don't all make sense, but they're all enforced. Yeah. And I, I so don't, have a, Southern, <laughs> don't oh, have a Southern okay. grandmother. So I don't know that yeah. story. But what I imagine a Southern grandmother to be like from all the TV shows. I think she makes it. <laughs> wow. Um, so also uh, Maya describes William Shakespeare as like her first white love, which I thought was hilarious because Maya <laughs> will go on to actually marry a white man or two. Um, but at a young age, they were readers. So at mm -hmm. the, in the evening, they all were sitting around with a book or some form of literature talking amongst themselves. A very intellectual home. I felt yeah. like this sounds really beautiful. Yeah. Um, now, in between these moments of peace and tranquility um, mixed with hard work, there was always the danger of lynchings and being black in the South at that time. Mm -hmm. um, people were overall segregated. So um, just as many white children didn't really know what a black not in servitude looked like, Maya also didn't really know what white people looked like at all. Um, she thought, you know, their skin looked see-through, a little raw. They were, it was a scary idea to her um, to have a white person like constantly in your presence. And the ones that she did interact with, for example, the sheriff who considered himself kind would just come around to warn her family. The boys are at it again. And mm -hmm. that meant that her un her crippled uncle Willie would have to be hidden because there was a lynch mob paroling um, the area later that night and uh, they might hurt him. So it was a really boogeyman type of situation. Um, amongst this, uh, uh, this childhood, the Jim was her dear brother and she mm. loved her brother. Mm. Maya felt like being his only sibling and having him all to herself, want to live in a way that showed God how grateful she was for mm. him. 
She was completely devoted to him. Um, Like I said before, her family was beautiful and she was often teased also by adults because she didn't they didn't find her as gorgeous as other people that were kin to her. And when her brother heard them, watch out. Let me just read a portion. (laughs) Maya says, when our elders said unkind things about my features, my family was handsome to a point of pain for me. Bailey, her brother, would wink at me from across the room. And I knew that it was a matter of time before he would take revenge. He would allow the old ladies to finish wondering how on earth I came about. Then he would ask in a voice like cooling bacon grease. Oh, Mrs. Coleman, how is your son? I saw him the other day and he looks sick enough to die. <laughs> Aghast, the ladies would ask, die? From what? He ain't sick. And in a voice oilier than the one before, he'd answer with a straight face, from the uglies. (laughs) (laughs) From the uglies. So I loved that. Um, Yeah, so her brother was both her friend and defender. It was really cute, Mm -hmm. their relationship. There were other children, right? They, they as is typical um, during this time, these black farmers and workers lived near a population of poor white Americans. And if these children had nothing else, or if those children, the, the white children had nothing else, they at least had their whiteness and they would use it to shame her grandmother and her family. An example is a group of children walking home, I assumed from school, and they uh, mocked her grandmother walking like her, talking like her, and even showing their private parts to her, um, which was really shameful. Maya uh, witnessed this from the hidden, like a hidden part in the door um, Mm -hmm. behind a window. And she loved her grandmother. So she started crying. And this is a real sweet moment where her grandmother just kept um, being her. Sometimes when children disrespect adults in authority, those adults will then inflict discipline on their own children just to show them, don't you think you can act like that? Mm. But that's not Maya's grandmother. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead, there was a little sweet moment here where um, her grandmother showed by example that no matter what people try to do to you, you always have like your humanity and your dignity. You never have to give that up. Mm. Um. And then Maya talks about the church, of course, the center of black American life in the South at this time. The preacher would always come to the house unexpected, eat up everything, a tragedy. You know, he didn't care until one day he also got his teeth knocked out quite literally. And not only eat everything, he always took the best (laughs) and the largest portion. Uh huh. You got a, a crippled man and two children here and an old lady and you going to eat the best. Forget them. You know, it's terrible. Um, and as a spiritual leader, he felt like that was his due. He just pop up to the house and eat the best of everything they had. Wow. Um, but one day there was a woman in church who would always act out and act like the spirit had overcome her <laughs> and run up to the preacher and knock him in the head. <laughs> and one day she knocked him so hard, his teeth fell onto the floor it looked like a bar fight his protectors was jumping on her she was jumping on him and he would just speak louder to save face um and Maya laughed so hard that again she peed herself but she couldn't stop laughing and she got the biggest whooping of her life 
Okay. So during this time, her early childhood, like I said, she's uh, growing up in her grandmother's home. Um, Her and Bailey, her brother, kind of pretended like they didn't have parents. Because, of course, if they had parents, their parents would be with them like everyone else's parents. Of course. So their parents must be dead. Mm hmm. But then what what uh, arrived that um, relieved them of this pleasant fiction, Alexis? <laughs> Christmas <laughs> gifts. Christmas gifts. And they was like, oh, this mean our parents ain't dead. <laughs> and then they got really sad. And the grandma was like, look at you children. You think people, <laughs> other kids wouldn't love these gifts? And y'all over here with sidepuss faces. <laughs> Talking about, oh, this sad because, and you know, they didn't want to tell her, well, we just sad because our parents ain't dead because that wouldn't make sense. Mm -hmm. So they just pretended to like these gifts. And then soon, ah, their father came to get them. And Marguerite consoled herself with thoughts that her mother and father, although now obviously alive, um, would bring her back to the South and her real mama soon. You know, this trip wouldn't, wasn't going to last but um, they daddy came and picked him up with a showy display. You know, he's been in the north and everywhere else around uh, town and around the planet. And so he's like mama's favorite baby, although yeah. she cares more for the cripple, you know, because he needs her care. They're very proud of Maya's father. Oh, by the way, Maya's name is Marguerite. But her brother loved her so much that he called her Maya's sister. Maya sister and then when he could talk he would just say my sister and so her nickname became Maya and it stuck throughout her life precious just so precious um so their father comes soon after the Christmas presents too and he takes them now I didn't quite understand this Alexis he took them to his ex-wife their mother to her mother's home to their maternal grandmother yeah and left them there <laughs> mm-hmm yeah, and then he went back to the northern part of California and they stayed in the southern part, but somehow they found their way to St. Louis. Yeah, so I, I don't get that really because I believe that the grandparent, the in-laws were in St. Louis and that's where they went. So I'd have to read that part again. It's not quite clear to me. I think they went there. I know they stopped okay. there in California. But ultimately, they went to St. Louis where everybody was. Okay. On the mother's so, side. So um, they, as Alexis explained, they ended up in their mother's home in St. Louis. Um, now, their parents were no longer together. Uh, their mother, though, this was the first time they're meeting her and really looking into her face and remembering her. Um, and she was the most beautiful thing they'd ever seen. She looked like a movie star. So let's talk about the mom where they ended up at the mom's house. Um, she was mixed and it seemed like she pa she used passing privilege when she wanted to. Right. Mm -hmm. um, her brothers were mean and violent, but loving protectors. And I'm sure y'all can understand what that means. They mean and violent men, but they consider it a, a matter of pride to protect uh, the people and especially the women in their family. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. An example of this, a man once cursed their mother out. Now, they, they mama was in the streets. I ain't gonna lie she, to you. This was so, in the streets. Okay. <laughs> so she got cursed out. And when her brothers heard about it, they locked the man in a bar and let the sister beat him up. Mm. They said, go ahead, beat him up. And what was the man to do? Tell this, tell the police that a woman. 
nearly white beat him up. (laughs) So the incident was never reported. So that's what we mean. They were a violent family in that way. One time they was at an Oscars and somebody had said something about their sister and they had slapped them on the stage. It was crazy. So anyway, uh, the mother had a boyfriend with what Maya called flabby breasts. Slight trigger warning here for the next 30 to 60 seconds. I'm going to talk about assault of the sexual nature. So the mother had a boyfriend with flabby breasts who was older than her and jealous in a way that old men who date younger women are often jealous. Um, Marguerite um, was eventually molested by this man until he um, all out raped her. And she was only eight years old. Um, She was, which surprised me, also brought Marguerite at eight years old, was brought to testify against this man in a court of law. So when her family found out, they never challenged her um, or thought she was lying. They all rallied um, behind her. But the court of law put her on trial um, as an eight year old child Mm. to talk about this adult that assaulted her. Marguerite lied on stand in court when asked if he touched her previously because he had and she'd honestly enjoyed it. She liked the attention from him. She was eight years old. This is a common thing amongst predators. He was um, he was grooming her for an extended period of time and using her own natural emotions to get what he wanted out of this baby. She uh, told the court, though, that he had never touched her previously. The man was sentenced to a little over a year only and was released that very day. Marguerite or Maya um, and her brother were on their mother's floor playing Monopoly that night when an officer visited. He said, I thought I should just tell you that the man was found dead. Uh, This ex-boyfriend of her mother's who uh, raped Maya. Maya mistakenly blamed herself and her childish innocence because she had lied on stand. She thought that that must have been how he ended up dead. And so I'm never going to speak again because my voice leads to people dying. And she really um, internalized that man's downfall, which had nothing to do with that poor baby and is implied that actually her family, of course, killed him. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with the baby. Mm-mm. No. In the beginning, her muteness was seen as part of her healing. So people allowed it. You know, they'd speak to her. She wouldn't speak back. And they like, you know, that baby been through some things. It's OK. But when the nurse said her eight year old body body was physically healed from the incident, Everyone just expected her to be back to normal. Mm. Nurses coldly said things like, well, the worst part is over for you, baby. When you get married, it's going to be easy. (gasps) She's a whole child. (laughs) Then older relatives began spanking her when she wouldn't respond to them. Mm -hmm. Taking it as disrespect. You know, you speak to your elders. I'm going to beat you. Whatever. She would only speak to her brother during this period. And eventually everyone, it seems, just grew tired of it and sent them kids back to live with the paternal grandmother (laughs) that they should have left her with in the beginning. Mm -hmm. I'm so mad at this part. Yeah. Because they sent her back hurt and forever changed. And they could have just left her alone or or just been better parents. Yeah. But let's move on. So she's back where she started with her paternal uh, grandmother, who, if she knows what happened, never brings it up and 
add some consistency back to these children's lives. Um, There's a fancy lady that lives in the area, Mm -hmm. although black, although at the bottom of the caste system, she has a dignity about her. She is educated and she's got money and her name is Mrs. Flowers. And perhaps readers and Alexis, uh, you know of someone in your life like this who you just admired as a child and who singled you out. Do you know anyone like this, Alexis? Yeah, actually, I do. I call her auntie. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, she's not my biological auntie, but I did. She singled me out and I felt so special. So special. This made me think, who can I single out? I can be someone's fancy auntie. Can you? You, know? you could be. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a job made for me. I love singling little babies out. You making them read. could definitely do that. You find you a so. little baby to single I'm out. Good. That's my mission. Okay, so <laughs> Mrs. Flowers would visit to gossip with Maya's grandmother. And the only thing that separated Maya's grandmother and Mrs. Flowers was money and opportunity. So like we said, Maya's grandmother ain't hurting for nothing, okay? But she wasn't educated. So Mrs. Flowers walked in a way and carried herself in a way that almost felt like Hollywood, you know, to Maya, who didn't yeah. know nothing about Hollywood. And then one day, um, Mrs. Flowers bought some things from the store and said, I'd like Maya to deliver it to my home. What an honor. Mm-hmm. Little Maya's heart is just palpitating like me. I'm going to Beyonce house. That's basically it. Basically. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And remember, Maya still isn't really speaking at this time. Right. Um. So Maya's dress uh, was like really pretty, hand sewn by her grandmother. And I just want to um, isolate the situation before Maya leaves um, to Mrs. Flowers homes. Mrs. Flowers compliments Maya's dress and the grandma is proud of it. And she's like, <laughs> oh, I stitched this. And so she pulls Maya's dress up over her head to show the stitching under the dress. Oh, my. And it is a moment of mortification. Mm. I have seen this and it is this subtext that a baby's body doesn't belong to them. Mm. It's it's not assault. It's just that can lead to the vulnerability of a child. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um so that was the moment but Mrs. Flowers seemed to pick up on the uncomfortableness of um Maya and she was like, "Okay, all right. Uh that's not necessary. I believe you about yeah. the stitching. Let's, you know, let's go, baby." So, as they're walking to Miss Flowers' home, uh, Maya is still pretty mute, but Mrs. Flowers is okay with that. She's talking to her in a sweet way um, and letting her know there's something special about you, girl. Now, I'm going to give you these books and you're going to read them. And then you're going to come back and we're going to talk about them over tea. Like ladies, yeah. as we are, little baby. We ladies. Precious. Okay. And so Maya returns home, having been singled out by this fancy, kind lady and has like a rejuvenation about she feels rejuvenized. Is that right? Rejuvenated. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's just rejuvenated. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so she's like, oh, hello, everyone. (laughs) You know, she come into the house like I was just having tea with Mrs. Flowers. Oh, by the way, Bailey. And the grandma said, what did you say? (laughs) (laughs) Skirt, skirt. Um, Maya's like, oh, I was just saying how, you know, Mrs. Flowers and I had tea before that. (laughs) Oh, I was just telling Bailey that, by the way, Lord, not cursing in my own house. <laughs> and the grandmother proceeds to beat Maya senseless. Why, Alexis? Because 
Jesus in the Bible is referred is to as the way. <laughs> And that was pure profanity to say, by the way. Oh, my goodness. So some things about this Southern upbringing, I will I really commiserate it with from my own grandmother. Like no one says lying. You can't say lie. That's also a curse word. You have to say stories. Because look at how your mom, my grandma sat me down one day and said, look at your mouth when you say lie, lie. <laughs> That's so ugly and unrefined. You see, you see, you say telling stories. <laughs> oh, it's she that, like that open mouth um, thing. No, nobody like an open mouth. Close your mouth. So, OK, I get it. Tell stories. And I guess, by the way, it can be right up there, too. That's swearing. <laughs> um, so. But the day wasn't ruined. Mrs. Flower had given her the gift of books and that gift would carry Maya through the rest of her life. A black girl's finishing school. So hallelujah was the name of a maid. And that maid was working alongside Maya. As still, Maya's still a preteen at this time. Yeah, she's 10. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's 10. OK, um, but she's working as like the undermaid to another maid in a rich white woman's home. Um, a little backstory about this white woman. She can't have children and she drinks, but she's like rosy and plump and overall kind. Um, her husband has two colored children in town, but don't nobody talk about that. So uh, maybe the woman knew. Maybe she didn't. Maybe that's why she drank. But anyway. The woman's maid was named Hallelujah, but the woman felt like that was not what the maid's name should be. So she had named the maid Glory. Glory. And the maid said, I like Glory better anyway. Okay. <laughs> so one day, uh, the woman of the home- house, her friends came over and was like, what's your name? Marguerite. That's too long. Um, Call her Mary. Mm. Ugh, and I'm to offended. Marguerite... The only person can change my name is my brother. Okay, <laughs> People call me Maya. So you can say Marguerite because you ain't my people. <laughs> okay, Exactly. So uh, Marguerite was in a predicament. Like, how would she get out of this job? Obviously, she didn't want to be a pseudo slave on this pseudo plantation with hallelujah, nay glory. You know, so how would she get out of this? Her grandmother wouldn't let her just quit. So how did she get out of it, Alexis? She break this lady fine, China. So the lady is like, not my Confederate dishes. And Maya just breaking dishes and hallelujah, name glory. It's like, no, not the white dishes. Not the white people dishes. You idiot, get out of here. And so they kick Maya out the house. Um, like, but oh, it's a comedic oh. scene. <laughs> it's a comedic scene where the late woman of the house throws a dish at Maya. Maya gets out of the way and is slight. Is glory in the face or something like that. And Glory is like, Ooh, we gonna get her out of here, mammy. We gonna get her out of here. So um, yeah. So Maya's like, yay, I don't have to work there no more. Um, so now I'm gonna like wrap it up. There is a moment as uh, Maya is graduating from basically middle school where a man comes in and it's a big day for everyone. Some people don't even graduate past middle school. So for Maya, she she wasn't just good at school. She excelled. She was a, a very studious student. And 
um, she was at like the top of her class. She had reached a point in her life where she was on the same level intellectually as some adults she knew. And she wasn't haughty about this, but she was reasonably proud about it. Um, So she was wearing her best. Her family was proud of her. Her whole class was proud. And then a man comes in and reminds them all who they are and, you know, uh, who they ever going to be. <laughs> Basically, you ain't nothing now and you ain't never going to be nothing but maids. Your dreams can only go so high. And it really pulled down the mood of the entire class before their valedictorian. Um, ex- uh, what did he do? He like read from the Black National Anthem. And it was the poetry oh, yeah. of the words that impressed Maya. Um, and she made a comment about how just like... um. Men have had to physically pull others from like the heaps of um, depression and downtroddenness. Among those numbers of of those saviors are poets and artists whose words really physically lift people up. Um, so that's a, a a moment that really shows us how much poetry um, affected Maya and how devoted she became to it at an early age. Um, as she grows up, she eventually is taken again by her father. Now her father was a man that women loved. <laughs> um, so when she went to, she's not living with him. It seems like a, she considered it a temporary situation. Like I'm just finding my way in the world. She's about 15, 16 at this time. And she uh, went to stay with her father and his girlfriend. For the summer. For the summer. Yeah, okay. That makes summer. complete sense. Um, and the father takes Maya to Mexico. What the daddy doing in Mexico? Girl, Alexis, did you know. understand? He got his, his business where he paying off the, um, what do you call them? Mm-hmm. Police. The police. He seems to have like an, um, border folks. Like an he paying off border people. Yeah, he's got an in with officers and then he just goes and like parties and disappears for a period of time. There's a woman, not his girlfriend, clinging to his arm. Mm-hmm. Um, Maya's like at one point, because she, remember, she knows Spanish. I don't know if we talked about this, Mm-mm. but she knows a very um, book Spanish. Um, but she's having a great time. She's loosening up. This is the first time. So they're at like a cantina dancing and drinking her and her dad. And this is the first time where she really felt that feeling of freeness, like being at a party surrounded by merrymakers. And she is loving it. And she feels protected because her father's there. But she looks around and she like, where he go? Now, she's like, someone must have poisoned my drink. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to die. She goes outside, sees his car. And she's like, oh, I haven't been poisoned. And my father isn't gone. I'm going to be OK. She's trying to talk herself into it. But then he come limping down the street, completely drunk. He's like, come on, let's go home. So she's like, well, if you drive us, we gonna die. So they put her dad in the backseat and she drives for the very first time. (laughs) Um, She gets into a car accident. Mm -hmm. People are mad. Her father wakes up from his drinking. He says, "Okay, let me go pay some people. He goes into a a room with the uh, man, the man of the family whose car she hit the police officer. They all come out laughing. 
He gets behind the seat and somehow makes it home. <laughs> when they walk through the door on the other side of the border in America, the girlfriend is sitting on the couch as if she had never moved. She's <laughs> waiting for this man that she's so devoted to. Um, Maya is wearing her father's jacket because he had to drive with the window down so that he wouldn't fall asleep from his drunkenness. Um, so when she walks through the door wearing her father's jacket, the girlfriend is like, you put your kids first. Your daughter is wearing your jacket. And I was like, this is not going to end well. Obviously, because this is too much. Ma'am, but sit Maya, down. <laughs> but Maya has a lot of empathy for the woman. She's like, your man been out in the streets of Mexico <laughs> all night partying. I see it. And you just sitting here crocheting, girl. You ain't got no life. And then when um she got mad, the girlfriend got mad. The father was like, well, I'm going out drinking. Forget you. And left again. <laughs> and so it's just Maya and the girlfriend in the house. So Maya came out and was like, look, I know my daddy told you that I don't like you. And I don't. But I want to let you know, I'm not trying to separate y'all. I'm just here for the summer. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's it on that. And the girlfriend was like, no, that's not it on that. Because your mom was a woman of the night. <laughs> and for Maya, I think it was like... She, if she thought that about her mother that her mother was a prostitute it would ruin her so she which maybe she thought it a little yeah so for this woman to say it was too much right Mm -hmm. so uh maya does jump on the woman (laughs) i'm not gonna lie to you okay she did and the woman cuts maya and Maya goes hmm (laughs) she goes and sits in the car the father comes home sees what has happened takes Maya to a friend's house to stitch her up because he can't have the community knowing that his girlfriend was fighting his daughter. Right, because he's he like a pastor or something also, or a deacon. Oh, he a deacon. Mm-hmm. He's also a deacon. <laughs> so uh, the dad is like, look, stay with some friends tonight and we'll figure it out later. By and by, you know, we'll figure it out later. Uh, Maya stays with his friend. She's patched up and she decides to run away. She then spends a month, a month, yeah, houseless with a crew of houseless kids in a junkyard who have formed on a junkyard who sleep in cars and they have formed their own civilization and they are civilized. They have ways of getting money. They enter these dance contests. And if they all in the dance contest, they're going to take home something. And then they split it. They scrounge for food. They have shelter. These are abandoned children living on the streets of a city. Um, yeah. And they take care of each other. So she does that for a month. And then she's like, I'm going to go home <laughs> to my mama. <laughs> I'm going to go to my mama's house now. And I'm going to eat like a whole plate of food. It's going to be great. So she goes not back to her grandmother's house in the South, but to St. Louis, right? Yep. To St. her Louis. mother, to her mother's home. Um, now, Bailey is still so important to Maya, but he's growing up. Maya's growing up. They're changing and they're living with this woman, her, their mom. Oh, I think by this point they're in California again. Oh, OK, OK. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yes, they're in um, San Francisco. Sorry. So um, their mom, they know her, but she's not the woman that raised them. She she was kind to them. Like there was a time when she had been out all night and she woke them up when she got home. And so she was like, Maya, come to the kitchen. And then uh, Maya came to the kitchen and Bailey, her brother, was sitting at the table like and she was like, we gonna have a party. Yeah. y'all. This the mama. We gonna have a party. And guess who invited? 
just us. <laughs> and so she like made some sweets, some brownies, and they had a little party, just the three of them. And it's really cute. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some immaturity to her mother, right? And as Bailey's growing older and Maya's growing older, there's some conflict there, as is typical. The brother eventually leaves home, breaking Maya's heart. Um, He stays with the prostitute as their mother arranges for him to join the war effort at that time or join the army or something. something. He went to the military. Yep. Right. Um, And Maya eventually decides to become, and this is really all of a sudden, the first black streetcar operator in San Francisco. She's 15. She's not old enough to work. She's still in school. She's like, this is just something I want to do. And um, I went to fill out for a job application there. They dismissed me. So now I'm going straight to the top and no one's going to stop me. There was a silent agreement between her and her mother where her mother supported her, giving her words of wisdom, making her breakfast as Maya got up early in the morning to complete this task until finally becoming the first black streetcar operator in the city of San Francisco. Right. Um, Maya is still developing. She's still in high school. She does eventually graduate, but not before becoming pregnant. She had this moment um, in her post-teen, well, no, late teen years where she felt like um, my voice is deep. My feet are big. Maybe I'm a hermaphrodite. (laughs) And she has this innocence about her um, that truly is innocence where she doesn't know mm-hmm. any better. Yeah. Um, she's like the only way to basically prove that um, I don't want to be in a same sex relationship or that I'm not a hermaphrodite is to pro not procreate, but to have what is she? She's very scientific about it. Relations yep. with um, a boy. So she picks one and she's like, hey, would you like to have relations with me? And so they did. And she was like, that was uneventful. And then she goes home still confused. (laughs) Um, But then she notices something in her body changing. A baby is growing. Um, Everyone kind of knows that Marguerite, they kind of look at her like she's slow. So they're like, they don't, they pay attention to her, but not too much attention. They know she don't lie. So she's going through about eight months of her pregnancy and no one has noticed Her mom is like having a party because she's going to go away to Alaska to start some business venture. Um, By the way, the mom had married at this time Mm -hmm. a man who was very kind to Maya and was like a pseudo father to her. Um, So uh, Maya's like, well, I'm going to run away because mama leaving. And she wrote a note. The the stepdad found it and was like, "Okay, everyone. What's going on? <laughs> Maya, how far along are you? And Maya's like with a whole full baby in her gut. Uh, three weeks. <laughs> so everyone agreed. Well, I guess Maya lies now because either you <laughs> don't know how far you are <laughs> or, you know, whatever. We all agree you farther than three weeks. So uh, Maya has the baby and it's a really sweet moment in the end where she's I mean, this is the first time she had something that was hers. She felt she had made it. And although she had help making it, that help was basically nothing. So this was something she could take credit for. And she thought the baby was perfect. So as the grandparents, uh, Maya's um, mom and stepdad are um, helping her raise that child, Maya doesn't even want to touch the baby. Mm-hmm. So the mother comes in one day and is like, I'm putting this baby in bed. I don't know if y'all should be sleeping with y'all babies, but the mama was like, I'm putting this baby in bed with you. And Maya was like, no, I'll ruin it. Mm-hmm. It's too perfect. Aww. 
And so uh, Maya falls asleep. She was exhausted, of course, as is typical with a new mother. And her mom comes in in the middle of the night and says, look at the baby. And Maya's freaked out. She's like, I didn't actually kill the baby. She looks down and her arm is in a position to protect the baby um, as they both sleep. And her mom tells her, see, you don't have to think about doing the right thing. If you're for the right thing, then you do it without thinking. She turned out the light and I patted my son's body lightly and went back to sleep. Mm. The end. So this is the first in a series of like six, maybe autobiographies. Um, This really starts uh, with the beginning of Maya's life and to her entry into adulthood. And that's it. Anything you want to add, Alexis? No. All right, then let's take a break. All right, and we're back. Alexis, what did you think of I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings and would you recommend this book? Yeah, so this is, as I mentioned earlier, my first time actually reading the works of Maya Angelou in the book form. And I really loved it. I loved the way she told the story. I love the way she, um, I guess I just like her storytelling. I was enamored of with it. I connected with it. I I could feel with her as I read through the pages. It was very touching and intimate story um, that I connected with. And I would definitely recommend it um, and look forward to reading the rest of her story. How about you, Kari? Would you recommend this book? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's no never a dull moment for me, although she hops around through different points in her life. It was easy to follow uh, for the most part. And her manner of speaking and storytelling is just so inspiring. She really talks like a poem um, in a way that isn't mm-hmm. satirical. It, it feels really natural for her and it's beautiful. And she's really naked in this book. I almost felt like if it's not my place to talk about it because it was so intimate. That's mm-hmm. a great way to put it. Um, she lived as an open book and she... Um, spoke in a way where she had nothing to hide. She told you all these inner workings of her thoughts, whether um, she was wrong in the moment or right in the moment, she told us about it. And it's really endearing. Um, so I really felt like um, this was a very honest autobiography and I would highly recommend it. Um, and it's very um, concise. It's not a super long book. Yeah, so it's a great one to pick up over a break if you have um, a break in your schedule and to learn about the great Maya Angelou, a giant in American um, art and literacy. I I, um, can't say this. There's a part in the book where she goes to get some help from a dentist and the way Maya recounts that and her version of it because her mother, her mama, which is her grandmother, goes into the dentist and has a conversation. How did I miss that? Yeah. Has a conversation with the dentist, but she's not in there, but she tells us what happens as if it's actually what happened. And I believe her until she says. Can I break it down briefly? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I forgot to explain this. Uh, Maya had what seemed like a tooth infection at one point. um, And her mother 
had once loaned money to what was now a wealthy dentist. So uh, a white dentist. So they traveled to this dentist and she was like, can you please work on my baby? And um, the dentist was like, I don't put my hand in the mouth of Negroes. I'd rather work on a horse or a dog Mm -hmm. and close the door. And uh, Maya's grandmother said, Maya, you stand out here, okay?" So Maya watched (laughs) as the grandmother entered, walked past the front desk receptionist and into the dentist's office, grew arms that were like (laughs) six feet tall, lifted that man up and told him, get out of town. Don't you practice dentistry no more ever in your life. If I ever hear about you doing it, I'm going to come find you. And he said, thank you, ma'am. Thank you. I'll never practice dentistry again. Thank you for not killing me. And he ran out of town. Now, when they get home, so, so Maya's not in the building, right? She can just see what's going on. And this is what it looks like is happening to her. When they get home, um, the grandma is actually telling what actually happened to her son, um, Willie. And basically, the man had paid her back the money that he, he once borrowed from her. Yes, but without interest. So she said, my interest is due today. And I'm either getting it out your behind or out your pocket. Which, which one you want? And so he paid her the interest. She used that money to go to another dentist to get Maya's tooth fixed. Um, yeah, and it was great. But my, the way Maya told it, although it's fantastical, I believe that woman had grown arms exactly. and lifted that man up and ran him out of town. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. I love that part. There's another part here when she, um, at the very beginning, when she's doing that Easter presentation, mm-hmm. And she becomes embarrassed. I want to read that too. I stumbled and started to say something or maybe to scream, but a green persimmon or it could have been a lemon caught me between the legs and squeezed. (laughs) I tasted the sour on my tongue and felt it in the back of my mouth. Then before I reached the door, the sting was burning down my legs and and into my Sunday socks. That's just me. She peed on herself. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, that's how she talked. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It is. And really yeah. easy to understand in the story. So, yeah, yeah it's great. Well, thank you, Kari, <laughs> for sharing the works of Maya Angelou. That was very beautiful. Um, I'm glad to have her introduced to my bookshelf because I'm going to be buying that book. What are we <laughs> reading next week, Kari? We're taking a break and we are actually having a relit episode, The Silent Patient by Alex Michaelides. Wonderful. Thank you for listening to Lit Society. We look forward to meeting up with you next week, Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Honoria. That's me. And Kari Herrera. Support hey, the hey. cause by leaving a five star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us right because we love you too if you're listening over on the spotify be sure to give a (laughs) five-star rating as well if you've enjoyed what you just heard tell a friend about lit society visit litsocietypod.com for show notes this month's book list and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter and until next time readers read something read something